So we're continuing our series on the Gospel of John. Well done. You all pass. The Gospel of John, we're up to chapter 6. We're looking at the feeding of the 5,000. This is page 867 in your pew Bibles. The black books around you are the Bibles, page 867. We'll read verses 1 through 15 of John chapter 6. Page 867. Hear the word of the Lord. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now, the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him, for Jesus himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they among so many people? Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now, there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down, about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled 12 baskets. When the people saw the sign that Jesus had done, they began to say, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. When Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. This is the word of the Lord. So scholars believe that this miracle happened near the northeast corner of the Sea of Galilee, not far from a village called Bethsaida. Now, why does that matter? It matters because Philip was from the village of Bethsaida. So if Jesus wanted to know where they're going to get bread from in that area, Philip would be the one to know. That's why he asks Philip, hey, where are we going to get bread to buy all these people some lunch. And Philip's response is really interesting. He does the math very quickly in his head, and he says, six months' wages isn't enough. Because it's, it's a crowd of people. And now, it's not as clear in this translation, but it's actually, it says 5,000 men. So if, if all of the men brought a buddy, either their wife or a child, there could be 10,000 people. There could be 15,000 people. This was like a rock concert size of people all coming toward them at the same time. These were people who had heard about Jesus. Maybe they'd seen some of his things. Maybe they'd heard a story like, you know, Miriam, she can see now. Joshua can walk. Reuben had that skin thing, totally gone. 
So they'd heard about the signs, and they were just hungry for more. we got to see more of this. We want to see this for ourselves. So they leave behind their boats and their farms and their homes, and they all walk together over the hills to where Jesus is. They want to see what he's capable of. Now, Philip has had a front row seat to what Jesus is capable of. He has seen him do all of these things. But now, in this moment, when Jesus gives him a question, hey, where should we buy bread for all these people? Philip's like, I don't know. It's like he's totally forgotten who this is that he's talking to. It's like uh, your sweet mate casually inviting you to come to her piano recital. And you're like, okay, because you kind of know she plays the piano. But you also know that she snores. And you know she forgets to clean the shower when it's her turn. And she always puts the toilet paper on the wrong way. And so that's, that's how you know your sweet mate. You've been living with her, you know her, and you go to the recital, and she sits down at the keyboard, and suddenly it's like, Phew. oh, right, I totally forgot she has this capacity, she has this ability, and you're there kind of stunned, remembering that this person whom you see in her pajamas can do this. Now, Philip has been with Jesus for a while now. You know, he's seen him with the sticky uppy morning hair, and he smelled his bad breath, and he's like, you know, I had to give him extra lunch. Like, he knows Jesus. So in this particular moment, he's not remembering this is Jesus. He has some capacity here. He's forgotten. Philip doesn't have enough faith. The people don't have enough food and they also don't have enough power. This is why, after the miracle is done, they say, let's take this guy and make him king, which seems like a really weird thing to do. Like, we've all had lunch, that's great, let's pick a new king, him. <laughs> well, John gives us some hints here in the text. He says, now the feast of Passover was near. That's a little clue. Because Passover for the Jews was a feast of liberation, a feast of, rec of uh, rescue, that's the word. It's a feast where they celebrate getting set free from Egypt and moving into the wilderness. And they also celebrate the fact that when they were in the wilderness, God provided for them. And some of you know these stories. You know from Exodus 16, the story about how bread falls from heaven how the quails come in on the wind and they have enough food. Out in the wilderness, God gives them bread and quail. And here they are in the countryside where there isn't a bakery large enough and they get satisfied again and they're like, this is it. This is the prophet who is supposed to come into the world. This is the fulfillment. Let's make him king because we're in a season where we're remembering what it's like to overthrow a ruler and let's do it again. Because if this guy can give us food and he can heal us, we are going to win. They want power. They want to overthrow Rome. So what we have 
are people who don't have enough. There's just, there's not enough. Not enough food, not enough faith, not enough power. They don't have enough. Now, this is language that we still use today. We say, I just don't have enough. And we usually talk about it in two categories. One is time. One is money. Yes, good. Someone said food. Was that you, Sam? It's all right. It's all right. It's a good. It's good. I see the connection. It's all good. I'm with you. You're participating. Time and money. We say all the time, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time to do Dance Guild. I've got to do the senior engineering project. I don't have enough time to hang out with you. I've got that paper due tomorrow. I don't have enough time, Mom, to come home this weekend. I got too much to do. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough money to go to Chipotle. I don't have enough money to give something every week to the community care fund. I don't, I don't have enough money to buy that textbook with the appalling price tag. Can I get a witness? Yes. I don't have enough. But there are other areas where we don't have enough and we're a little slower to name it. I don't have enough patience to keep praying for the same thing day after day, year after year, and see no result. I don't have the courage to walk into the counseling center. I don't have enough faith to believe that God actually loves me. I don't have enough. And the gap between what we have and what we need seems so big. And this isn't just with things in our lives, but this is global stuff too. We feel like we just, we just don't have enough. Maybe some of you heard about the climate report that was released a week ago. It was very sobering news. And, and we just look at that and we think we just don't have enough. Enough time, enough willpower, enough political help. We just, we just don't have enough. Or maybe you went to an Unlearn event this week and you were reminded by the depth and pervasiveness of racism in our world, in our community, on our campus, and you just got overwhelmed. You're like, I just don't have enough. I don't have enough to keep talking. I don't have enough to keep fighting. And we don't have enough to change it. I just don't even know what to do. The gap is so huge between where we are and where we need to be. And maybe you're driving around here in Southeast Grand Rapids and you see somebody on the corner with a sign asking for money and you have one of those moments, it's like, well, we learned in sociology class that, but he's standing right there and I just really know. But then the light changes and you, and you just realize, like, I don't know what to do about poverty. Like, I don't know how to, like, poverty is huge and I don't know what to do. How do I move toward this giant thing? We, we're not doing great on addressing poverty. We don't have enough. And we look at some of these situations, whether they're in our lives or whether they're global, 
And the gap is so big between where we are and where we need to be. It's so big that we can't even imagine what it would be like if God came into that. We just don't even know sometimes what even to pray for. We just see the gap and we get overwhelmed and we say, we don't have enough. That's how Philip felt in this story. He's got thousands of people walking toward him and Jesus says, hey, where are we going to buy the bread? And he's just like, ah, what? And then this, this little kid shows up, and he's got the five barley loaves and the two fish. And Philip is like, oh, great. And Andrew says it out loud, like, okay, we got this, but. And not only that, but barley was bad bread. It was, it was the bread of the poor. It was lower class. In fact, barley bread was so bad. How bad was it? Barley bread was so bad that if you were a Roman soldier and you were under punishment, part of your punishment meant you had to eat barley bread. That's how bad. And then he's got these two fish, which are probably dried because that's what they did to process fish so that they could spread them out across and ship them places. And he's a little boy, so it's like, how long have these things been kicking around in his backpack? We don't know. (laughs) And so these things come out, and Philip and Andrew, you know, are just looking at each other across the grass just like... And Jesus takes that meager offering, thanks God for it, and then multiplies it. And it goes. And one person takes a barley, another person gets a barley, and the fish gets around, and all people start to realize exactly what is happening here, that this meager offering has turned into a feast. Did you notice in the text where it says in verse 11, the very last part, when he had given thanks, he distributed it to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. Think about this. This is a poor community. When was the last time any of these people were able to eat as much as they wanted? Jesus doesn't just feed the people. He, like, overfeeds the people. He's like your grandmother at Thanksgiving. He's, like, putting more, more, eat more. You need a second piece of pie. That's Jesus, more. (laughs) As much as you want. You want more fish? We got more fish. You want some more rolls? Good for you. Multiplies. Abundance. Twelve baskets left over And now scholars play with the number 12. They're like, does that mean he's a symbol? Like, this is a symbol that Jesus is enough for the 12 tribes, and and he's, sure, yeah. Is it it for the 12 disciples to know that he will provide exactly what they need in a, sure, yep, all works. Big point, lots of food. Abundance. More than they could ask or imagine. And now John sets up the story. Did you notice this? 
by saying that Jesus, in verse 6, said this to test Philip, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Now, that seems a little shady. Like, I know what I'm going to do. Hey, Philip. <laughs> Where should we get some bread? But that's not Jesus, right? Jesus doesn't tease people. He doesn't poke fun. What Jesus is trying to do is nudge Philip's faith along to move it deeper. And that's what Jesus is always trying to do. When he tests us, when he sees, he says, move it a little bit long. Can you trust me with this? Can you trust me now? So he's saying to Philip, hey, Philip, where are we going to get enough bread for all these people? He's saying to Philip, trust me. Trust me right now. Trust me that I can do more than you, Philip, can imagine. Trust me that I can provide beyond what all of these people need. Trust me, Philip. That when this meager offering is given to me and I thank God for it, I can do anything with it. I'm right here, Philip. Trust me. That's what he's trying to teach Philip. And that's what he's trying to teach us. He's saying to us tonight, look, guys, I'm right here. I'm right here. Trust me. Bring me what you have, not what you don't have. Bring me what you have. Bring me the weariness of your prayer life, trying to pray for the same thing over and over. Bring that to me. All beat up and worn out, bring it to me. Bring to me the little tiny bit of courage you have to just walk by the counseling center. Just, just bring that to me. Bring me the faith that you have that keeps you coming back to worship, even though you're not quite sure of it. Bring, bring that little bit of faith to me. Bring these meager things to me, because when you do, and I give thanks to God for them, I can multiply them. I can fill the gap between where you are and where you need to be. You can trust me with this. You can trust me with this. And we have so many students who have stories of financial surprises that come where they were $200 short and a $200 check comes in the mail. Just those little moments where it's like, Jesus is like, hey, trust me with this. Now, this isn't a guarantee, unfortunately. But Jesus is holding us. Jesus is caring for us. Jesus wants us to trust him. And he wants this for the world, too. You know, the little things that we do about climate change seem so little. And we can be like, like our inner Andrew comes out like, what is that compared to all of this? You turned out the lights. Great. What difference does that make? But what if we say, Jesus, here's what we're going to get. We, we're going to give you our meager offering of turning out the lights and turning off our power strips and eating less meat and not running the water as much. Like, we know it, but multiply it. 
Multiply it because your creation is crying out for healing. Please, God, multiply the little things we do. Multiply. Okay, Jesus, this isn't a lot, but I'm going to go to an unlearned lecture, and I'm going to read a book, and I'm going to talk to someone and really listen to what their experience is like being a black person, being a white person, being an Asian person, being someone from a different country who's trying to always navigate culture. Jesus, it's not a lot, but I'm going to lean, I give it to you, and I'm going to ask you to multiply it so that our anti-racism efforts, even though they're here, they're eventually going to get there. I just, I give it to you, multiply it. And this isn't much, but I can give a dollar every week to the community care fund. And I can maybe tutor a kid and volunteer with my dorm at the homeless shelter. I just, it's not a lot, Jesus. It's not going to solve poverty in America. But I ask that you take this meager offering that I have and multiply it. Take these meager offerings that we have, Jesus, and multiply them. Fill the gap between here and a healthy climate. Fill the gap between here and a healthy me. Fill the gaps that are existing in my life, Jesus. Help me to trust you enough to bring you what little I have and watch for you to do something with it. And we can trust Jesus to fill the gaps. We don't know what that'll look like. But we want to be people who are all in on Jesus. We want to be people who look stupid if Jesus doesn't show up. So if somebody interviews you about climate change and you say, yeah, here's what I'm doing. I'm recycling and I'm riding my bicycle and I'm eating less meat and I'm turning off the water and I'm turning off my power and I'm praying every day about it. People are going to be like, okay. So what are you doing for anti-racism? Well, you know, I'm, I'm learning a lot. I'm listening to people. I'm paying attention to all sides of different conversations, and I'm praying a lot about it. All right. Yeah, I'm caring for people who are poor, and I'm tutoring a child, and I'm working on this, and I'm praying a lot for Jesus to fill the gap, for Jesus to get to work. And there's this gap, Jesus, between where our relationships are and where we want them to be. And we look stupid because we're just out there waiting for this person to come to faith or waiting for this relationship to be reconciled or waiting for finally someone to say, I'm sorry. And we're just waiting and we look so stupid because we're just like, Jesus, I give you this. I give you this mess, this meager little mess. Multiply it in your grace. Multiply the good. Multiply. Fill the gaps. And we can trust Jesus to fill the gaps because Jesus has filled the biggest gap there ever was. The gap between us and God. Jesus stepped right into that. And with his life, death, and resurrection, he has reconciled us to God. And that's why our little meager things matter. Your meager offerings matter to God because you are reconciled. You are his beloved child. And he wants your flourishing. Because Jesus has stood in the gap for us. 
our whole lives matter to God. So when we come to the table, we come because Jesus has filled the gap. We come because we say we are going all in on Jesus. And so as you come to the table tonight, I want you to be thinking about where's the thing, where's the gap, where's the thing in my life where I think, Jesus, this is pitiful, this is all I have, multiply it. Where do you want Jesus to show up? Where do you want Jesus to surprise you? Because tonight, Jesus comes into our space and messes with us and says, trust me. Trust me to do more than you ask or imagine. Trust me to fill the gap. Trust me to provide 12 baskets worth. Trust me. And when we take the bread and we dip it in the cup, we are saying, we trust you. Help us to trust you more. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for this miracle, the multiplying. Thank you that you loved Philip enough to nudge his faith along. And you love us enough to nudge our faith along. And so show us how to be faithful in taking what we have and giving it to you and trusting that you're up to something. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you speak to us, that you nudge us, that you prod us and say, look at this part of your life, look at this relationship, look at this. Lift it up. Offer it to Jesus. And so as we come to the table, we pray that you meet us there in ways beyond our asking or imagining as we feast together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And after he thanked God, he broke it and said, This is my body given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And after he blessed God, he poured it and said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it to remember me. So as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. We pray, God, our creator, that you remind us of who we are in you. That our identity is not in GPA or relationship or beauty or athletics or music, but in you. Jesus, we thank you that you redeem us when our egos get the best of us, when we're too proud to ask for help. Thank you for moving in. Thank you for taking the little things we offer and multiplying them. 
Holy Spirit, we pray that you take this bread and this cup, these ordinary things, and use them in extraordinary ways in our lives and in your kingdom. And we pray through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We now have the opportunity to recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is an ancient creed that Christians have been saying for generations, and the words will be on the screen. We say together, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. If this is your first time taking communion with us, uh, we'll come forward for it. You rip a piece of bread from the loaf and you dip it in the cup. And because this is a feast and there is an abundance, don't just take a pinch, not a little bit, like take a piece and dip it in. Um, this group will come in this way and then go back around this way. You guys this way and back around that way. And uh, Calvin is not a church, and so we're delighted that uh, Woodlawn Christian Reformed Church, which is the church that shares this building with us, are sponsoring our communion, so we're very glad that they're here today. If you need gluten-free, just uh, let us know. There are two stations here, and the people will be happy to serve you. If you're a communicant member in your home church, whatever that is, then you're welcome to take communion here. If you've never taken communion before, and you're not quite sure what it is, we ask that when you come forward, just make a cross over your chest. You'll receive a blessing, and then you can come and talk to us about what it means to take communion. So you don't have to take communion today if you don't know what it's about, but you can receive a blessing. Okay. Jesus says to you, come, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. You will find rest for your souls. These are the gifts of God for the people of God.
Christ and you. 
like some help praying about your thing, whatever it is that you need to offer up, or anything else, the prayer servants are going to their stations now. Whatever you say to them is held in confidence, so please feel free to take advantage of their ministry. Or if you're walking by, just thank them. So there are prayer servants who come before the service to pray for all of you, and there are those who serve after the service to pray with you. If you need hot chocolate, hot coffee, hot tea, cookies, fellowship, all downstairs. If you need a hug, that's over here at this door. Receive now the blessing from the God who loves you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. <laughs>